afternoon, along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Welcome back. Three hours with you today. Three hours with you every day but Thursday, and I think that's two and a half. So for the most part, you've got us for the full show. Excited about that. Excited about spending time on the phones with you at 505-6009. Excited about spending Twitter with you at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Excited about spending time with you on our mobile app powered by First American Bank where you can chat with us in real time while you listen to the show today. Oh, that's the greatest. And a week from today, we're on the road driving out to uh, Phoenix. Lane Frank will be hosting the show along with UTEP Zay. And uh, it's, it's going to be a fun one. The only thing we will do on that Tuesday is have track talk for you at 5 o'clock with Eric Alwyn. Other than that, uh, it'll be Lane and Zay for the entire show. And so happy that they're going to be uh, delivering that. Uh, Adrian, are we going to do a uh, dress rehearsal over the weekend? That Ooh. might be that might be a pretty good idea just because um, I know for the two of us, uh, you know, doing a show with um, little to no prep is no big deal because that's right. what we do every day. But in those, in the case of those two, maybe we should uh, maybe we should have a little dress rehearsal for them over the weekend. You know, it's a good idea, Steve. I don't know uh, what everybody's weekend plans look like. I will say this uh, with respect to both uh, Lane and Zay. Maybe they should you know try to get an hour here or there. Maybe this week. Maybe uh, during well, the actual show or something like that. Where we're maybe here in the control room like back that. here, or you know in the in the production room back yeah. here. And they're just uh, spitting game for an hour, and, and we'll see what the, what we can uh, do as far as feedback goes. Maybe uh, Thursday at 5. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. We'll give the two of them the hour. Okay. That might okay. be good. Yeah, it might be pretty good. Maybe we can work Jeff Erickson into the first hour of the show that day, and uh, we'll be all right. Nice. Okay, I like that. Yeah. It's either Thursday or Friday. Basketball. Either that, one of those two days. Either Thursday or Friday show. That's the way I think that would be great. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And even if we don't get get a chance, I like your idea of a weekend idea, a weekend dress rehearsal, and uh, th- that would be perfect for both the guys. I, think I agree. Awesome. I think they're going to knock it out of the park. But I do like the idea that that the two of them could, uh, you know, have this while we're here sometime this week, just to make sure everything is good to go. You know, one of the first things I realized, I think uh, I was still an intern. I host the show uh, the first time. It was uh, on only a one-hour show, so it was nothing big, right? And so the first thing I realized is I prepped and I, I wrote all these notes down and everything. And then uh, I, I went through all the notes and I looked up and only five minutes had passed. So I was like, all really? right, yeah. So I think if you don't, if you've never done this before, it's not as easy as just turning on the mic and saying, "Let's go and let's talk about stuff." That's pretty wild. Yeah, uh, that's pretty wild. But it's true. I, mm. I feel like that's what ended up happening. And then, uh, wow. fortunately for me, it was only an hour, and, and we had uh, one of the best in the business, Sal Montes, joining mm. me. That's good. That's that's a good way to help you out there for sure. Hey, uh, today is the Foss's birthday. We'd like to wish uh, yes. Steve Foster a very happy birthday today. So um, I don't know what number he's on. Somewhere in the um, in, in the back half of the fifties, somewhere there. I don't know, but because Foss is a few years older than me, he's about. I think he graduated high school seven years prior to, to to when I did, and I'm turning fifty this year. So you can just guess. Foss is somewhere in that total, and uh, wish him happy birthday. Wish him nothing but the best. He called me today. I wish him happy birthday over the phone. Oh, he didn't sound uh, as excited as I was to wish him happy birthday. So maybe he'll be pumped next week. Maybe we can get a belated drink next week or something like that after a show. He called me today, too. 
Nice, nice. We so, got the we got the sports talk lowdown from laying down the law in Foss. Man, that's good stuff. Um, so yeah, today is uh, the Foss's birthday. Happy to hear that. Um, hey, this is also really cool. Um, Duke found his radio license, his FCC uh, radio permit from 1992. And you want to know something? I had the same thing three years later, except mine looks a little different than his. This is way cool. I didn't realize everybody needed a permit to oh, yeah. be on the radio. I love it. I have one, too. we got to be comparing notes. Found, I found mine digging through my office a couple months ago. Well, what year was yours dated? 95, 94? 95. Nice. 95. Cool. Yeah. About, it was about three years after Dukes. So, nice. Okay. I think cool. You know, Dukes got a few years on me when it comes to this business. So um, we got a lot to cover on the show today. It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. In fact, um, where do we start? We start with Sean Payton going to the Broncos. Yeah, let's do it. It's a big, big story. News. That is. Um, and really what I'm interested in was the the compensation package to New Orleans. And that's going to be a first round pick this year. Twenty nine overall. And a second-round pick next year. And then the Saints will give the Broncos a third-round pick next year. So it's basically the first this year and a second next year for New Orleans' third next year in, in Sean Payton. So now he's going to be one of the highest-paid head coaches in the league. My question is, you think Sean Payton will be able to fix Russell Wilson? That's a great question right there. I feel like... Among all the coaches they interviewed, Jim Harbaugh, uh, former Stanford head coach David Shaw, uh, Dan Quinn, they interviewed guys like Jim Caldwell, Raheem Morris from the Rams. They interviewed all these guys and not really, you know, none of those guys have expertise necessarily working directly with quarterbacks, although you could maybe make an argument of Harbaugh and Quinn based on all their coaching experience just in general. But it, feel, it was weird, Steve. I felt like the timeline was weird. D'Amico Ryans, they tried to, uh, you know, last minute try to hire him and poach him away from Houston today, like literally hours before they executed this deal with Sean Payton. So I get the app apprehension on the Broncos side from trying to give away draft compensation but I don't know if Sean Payton I don't know if D'Amico Ryans or anybody could fix fix Russell Wilson I mean Sean Payton had uh, Drew Brees in his prime he doesn't have uh, Russell Wilson in his prime it's past his prime well here's the question okay and this is this is the million dollar question Uh, prior to this season even if you look at Russell Wilson from uh, 2021 okay in 2021 Russell Wilson um, played 14 games, threw for 3,113 yards, 25 touchdowns, just six interceptions. I mean, that's, I mean, those aren't like numbers that he had during the peak of his career when he was throwing for 4,000 yards, but those are still pretty good numbers. 64.8% completion percentage. So, you know, I mean, you think about what, what he is. This past year was. Um, the biggest problem with, with Russell Wilson was the interceptions, the lack of touchdowns. He only completed 60% of his passes, which was by far his career low. And yet, if you look at his numbers like two years ago, 40 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and 4,212 yards. Um, you know, Almost the most in his career. So he's just two years removed from a spectacular season. 
he's only what thirty four years old. Only. Well, I mean, compared to uh, Tom Brady, that's like yeah, a rookie. Very true. You know, compared to Aaron Rodgers, he's uh, he's still a baby. But yeah, I get it. I know you're right. Mid thirties. It's when things go down the toilet. Just uh, you know, there are some exceptions to the rule. Let's be honest. But here's the deal. If anybody, if anybody can fix Russell Wilson, it's Sean Payton. And if Sean Payton can't fix him, then Denver wasted a lot of time and a lot of money. Simple as that. That's right. A new ownership out there in Denver right now. The pressure has been on, I mean, really, since uh, all the last six quarterbacks that they had post uh, Peyton Manning. Um, Denver has not gotten that quarterback position right since they went to the Super Bowl. And I don't know if Russell Wilson, who's, again, 34 years old, is the answer. I feel like the biggest pr- uh, the biggest thing that we saw out of Russell Wilson this past year was he didn't use uh, the dual threat abilities we saw in his early part of of Seattle. He doesn't like to be as physical as he once was. And when you're having to rely on Russell Wilson as a pocket passer, somebody who's just going to come under center and throw the ball uh, 10 to 15 yards, nothing more than that, and uh, you know, kind of be inefficient while doing so, then I don't know if you can rely on him to be your difference maker. And that's, uh, to the bigger point, is maybe with Sean Payton, they try to become a great defense, try to still throw out a good running game, but not have to rely so heavily on Russell Wilson. I could see that. could definitely see that. As Steban tweets the program, Steve, I told you there was no way in hell – Sean Payton would subject himself to Jerry Jones. Well, you did. Congratulations. You're right. And you know what? And here's the thing. Is it subjecting yourself to Jerry Jones or the Cowboys just not wanting to sacrifice the draft compensation that it was going to take to bring Sean Payton over? I mean, maybe Jerry felt that, you know what? Mike McCarthy combined with a new offensive coordinator next season and Dan Quinn is more than enough to win with the Cowboys. That they didn't have to go ahead and bring in Sean Payton. That's an interesting thought. I also feel like just two days ago, Sean Payton was trending to go back to Fox. He was trending to become, you know, to renew his uh, deal to stick as an anal- as an analyst. He wasn't supposed to be hired this late in the process by some of these teams, and then the Broncos kind of get desperate during this process in hiring him. Now it might end up being the right move, but I thought, but when um, the the signs were pointing to Sean Payton remaining at Fox, I thought he would wait to the for the LA job, the Chargers job to possibly open up next yeah. year or maybe even the Cowboys job with Mike McCarthy. Maybe the Chargers feel like they already have their new head coach in waiting in Kellen Moore. It's yeah. very possible that when they brought him on board as their OC, they are already planning on uh, when Staley is gone to uh, make Kellen Moore their new head coach. You know, it's so funny because if you were to try to make an identical move as uh, hiring a guy like Brandon Staley, I feel like it's hiring somebody like Kellen Moore. Those guys are very identical. And, I mean, trusting Kellen Moore to being a game manager, and I'm not talking about, you know, offensively, but I'm talking about clock management, timeout management, and stuff like that. I think there's a reason why Kellen Moore had has not gotten a head coaching job up to this point, even though he's interviewed for five different openings. And do we know for sure – if Sean Payton will have total control of Denver, 
no, we do not know that. That was the signs. They they hinted at that, but that did not come out today. Um, and I also feel like it's kind of weird that they went back at D'Amico Ryans mm-hmm. uh, on kind of the last hour before pulling the trigger and hiring Sean Payton. Well, and D'Amico Ryans, by the way, going to Houston. That's right. That's right. Huge move for the Texans, and he was not able to be lured away from Houston. He stayed with them, and he's remaining loyal to being the Texans' new head coach. Yep. Although uh, Peyton did compliment the fan base, tradition, and uh, ownership group, and calls Denver a great football city like New Orleans. So um, that is interesting. And then there was rumors that when uh, Sean Peyton spoke to Denver, there was a disconnect. Um, He denied that, but um, it's interesting uh, when you look at, you know, Sean Payton possibly having concerns with that uh, ownership group and then saying that there was zero truth to that and that he loved the Broncos' new ownership. So who knows if he's telling the truth or not, but he probably is. I mean, you're not going to go ahead and take the job if you've really felt that there was some issues with the ownership group, right? And uh, on the opposite side of that, the ownership group would have no question marks, no reservations. If they're trading a first-round pick yeah. and a second-rounder for next year, I mean, that's a lot of uh, a lot to, to give out here for this uh, job. And I know it's a head coach, but do you really value a head coach for a first-round and a second-round pick? I guess the Broncos do. I guess they do. And I guess they feel like at this point, uh, Sean Payton's going to get it from somebody. Better be from them than somebody else. So... Look yeah, at it that way. Not not necessarily Carolina in this process. Not a team uh, with another opening down the line, possibly like the Chargers. No, this was their landing spot right here in Denver. That's true. So D'Amico Ryans will be the new head coach of the Houston Texans. And now you've got Sean Payton back in the NFL with the Denver Broncos. And the Cowboys need to find themselves an offensive coordinator. And I am fascinated, fascinated to see where they're going to go. Aren't you? Yeah, there's a lot of names out there that have been thrown out. Uh, some have, uh, you know, continued to maintain they might promote from within. Uh, some will say that McCarthy will tap into his own resources and relationships with, uh, you know, uh, you know, different coaches out there right now. But there are a lot of movement when it comes to offensive coordinators across the NFL right now. I'm curious if they lure somebody away from their current team uh, to be the new uh, offensive coordinator in Dallas. You want to talk about it with us? We'd love to hear from you. Five zero five six zero zero nine that is our telephone number as we continue here on sports talk surprised hearing the news that christian mccaffrey will be heading to the pro bowl in place of miles sanders rather than aaron jones yeah a little bit uh, surprised there i know he missed some time um i'm also really surprised about the tyler huntley news today but man, i mean what do we make of the pro bowl selections now when it seems like everybody is being thrown in and this game doesn't really matter and that's I, true i think it's more important if you're uh kind of a, a unanimous uh pro bowler Unless you have the Pro Bowl clause in your contract and that extra That's bonus true. money comes your way, right? Yeah, that those incentives mean a lot to the the families of those players, so they would tell you that Pro Bowl means a lot to them. Yep, I'm with you. All right, we got a lot to cover on the show today. Let's keep things going. 17 past. We'll go to Charlie. Start it off first with traffic, and then uh, more of your calls, tweets. So much to talk about here on our Tuesday edition of the program. It's 600 ESPN El Paso much should mike mccarthy call the plays next season now that uh, offensive coordinator kellen moore is the new oc and uh with the chargers well that was the topic today on first take with Keyshawn johnson and stephen a smith uh and you can imagine how this one went 
defensive coordinator submits the game plan in meetings. He sits with the team. He goes over it. But who calls it is important. And if Mike McCarthy believes that he can call the game, he should call the game. Well, wait a minute. Certainly call. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? When he was in Green Bay, he got he was vacillating back and forth between calling the plays and letting somebody else do it. No, he wondering whether or not he he should do it. He did that. He he didn't do that. He did it at the end. At the end, he did it. And then he realized, you know what? I'm going to get fired, so I might as well call it and get fired myself. And they got fired. Well, but that they were a bad team, Stephen A. They oh, were well, a listen, well, he had something team. to do with them being a bad team. No, man, no, they, they, he they didn't have hurt. nothing to do with it. He didn't have nothing hurt. to do with them being a bad team. They was hurt. Being a head coach. Down. They was hurt and they was broken down, Stephen A. They they were hurt and broken down, man. Let's be honest here. Did Aaron Rodgers, am I, am I remembering, is my recall incorrect? Did Aaron Rodgers not allude? To him being a bit archaic and outdated, and they felt a new, fresh voice needed to be in there. When the floor comes say, in there, did they say a new person? Let me tell you something. Now that? That you don't, now that you don't went down that rabbit hole, True. it happens. I played with Tony Dungy in Tampa Bay. They felt like Tony Dungy wasn't doing what he was supposed to Hit The voice had got stale in the end. They sent well, him packing in the damn argument. rain. They sent him packing in the damn rain. And guess what? He went to Indianapolis. It won a Super Bowl instead whoa, 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 of another whoa. Super Bowl team. Come on. Well, come you on what? Bring, I'm saying not come the Tony Dungy. You can't bring the Tony Dungy situation up because we all know there was something more to the Tony Dungy situation. No, now, come was, on now. No, I don't no, compare no, those two. No, I don't no, even think no, about it. I know you're no, right about not, Dungy. I'm not, but that was I'm more not, than just football to me. I'm not, it might have been more than just football, but the reason right. it was more than just football is because they felt that his message had got stale. Just yes. like you alluded to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers felt as though that message got stale. And so what happens is people want to make change when they don't necessarily need to make change. That was first take from earlier today, Keyshawn Johnson going at it with Stephen A. regarding the Cowboys situation. Now, um, tell you this much, if Mike McCarthy takes over calling the plays and the Cowboys have a uh, just a, an awful 2023 season, well, then it's really easy to fire him and bring somebody else in as head coach, Dan Quinn or someone else, depending on who it's going to be. Or if they could find somebody as the OC who's, a, who's known as a great play caller and someone that could try to fix Dak Prescott, then go there. It's so interesting, right? Because I, I feel like there's no way in my mind, if I'm a Cowboy fan, that I want McCarthy to call plays. He has issues as it is managing the clock managing timeouts, managing decisions on fourth down, third down. Why would you ask him to be the play caller in this situation, even if he wasn't on the same page with Kellen Moore before? And remember, as we all are Aaron Jones fans, uh, McCarthy was the genius who didn't play him the first year and a half. And every time he did play him, he ran for over 100 yards, and McCarthy would never commit to making him the main back until he left, and they brought LaFleur in anyway. So it was like Mike McCarthy couldn't see something if it hit him right in the face. And, um, and and that's why I don't necessarily agree that making McCarthy the play caller is the smartest thing in the world.
Also with that, I mean, you've got two premier backs in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, assuming, you know, Pollard comes back or, uh, you know, the, his future is still under, undetermined. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, that is a, that, that is their point of strength right there, the yep. run game. The Cowboys pride themselves on what they were able to do on the ground. And with questions around Dak, you know, especially somebody who is not as durable as other quarterbacks are in this league, that, that's another thing that you have to factor in when uh, deciding who will call plays for this team. Stevon tweets the show, Steve and Adrian should yell at each other like that. Just for fun. Now, I used yeah. to, so I did that already. Remember, if you've, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know that years and years and years ago, Robert Garcia, when he was on with me, all we did was yell at each other. And then he would start laughing and it, like, you know, ridiculous laugh of his. And, um, you know, that was the show. The show was always, it was, it, it got, uh, it got very loud, very vocal. Did it get heated? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Really? It was, yeah, it was very much like like those days. Back like years storming ago. out kind of thing? Anything like that? Oh, Any no, we, we, no, no, nothing ever All personal. Right, cool, cool. No. He just, we just yelled at each other because, you know, he thought he knew what he was talking about. I thought I knew what I was talking about. And we would, sometimes we just wouldn't agree. And when that was the case, we would, we would raise our voice. Got you. I got you. It's a little so, screaming matches, you know, four o'clock to seven o'clock. Yeah, I just can't. I can't do that anymore. I, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm not, and I'm not like Stephen A. It's just even though Esteban wants it just for fun, I can't, I uh, can't go out and just start screaming and yelling anymore. When was the last time you got into an argument with somebody? Just start screaming at him. Never. I don't, I'm not a screamer. I'm not somebody like that. Um, but I will say. We get animated. We get, you know, think topics get get pretty animated on this show and emotional and uh, emotions sometimes get on the show, which yep. is great. I, I, I mean, I would just say we don't need to go at a ten every five seconds. We don't. We don't need uh, the first take ratings over here. Nah, we don't. We absolutely do not. Pinky uh, just messaged us on the mobile app. Um, as long as they keep paying attention to the Cowboys, I'm happy. Give Aaron Jones the props. And uh, the dollars he deserves. So, um, look, and, and again, when Aaron Jones signed this deal two years ago, my first reaction was, this is great for the first two years, but I didn't, I didn't see him making it to the, second and the, the third and fourth years of those contracts just because of the hit that it was going to take on Green Bay. They designed it perfectly because they knew that it was the contract that would give them the most production for the first two years of the deal. Then after that, uh, different story. Different story entirely. Yeah, one could make the argument the ar- the writing was on the wall with that deal and with the uh, decision to draft A.J. Dillon in the second round. I mean, if they get a fifth-round running back, if they get a third-round running back or something like that, maybe you're even using Aaron Jones more and you're featuring him more across your offense. But uh, the way that this was done, it, it kind of all feels predetermined. This feels inevitable. That's true, but um, I would love I, – I know – injuries um, you know, can, can mount up when you give a guy a ton of carries. That being said, I would love to see what Aaron Jones could do on a full workload in one year. I would. He's never had that. Never had that in his entire career. First, it was Jamal Williams. Then it was um, A.J. Dillon. He has never been a full-time back in the NFL because the Packers always felt that if they didn't conserve his workload, he would be hurt. 
And that was that was the truth. That's why they've always gone with a two-back system. Yeah, and you can't look to the postseason and think, yeah, let's save Aaron Jones for the postseason if you're not even going to get there, if you're not going to be yeah. successful. And and I feel like uh, the Packers were at their mo- at their best when Aaron Jones was running the ball effectively for their team or just involved in their offense because he was a difference maker even in the receiving game. I'll say this. If Aaron Jones is cut loose by Green Bay this year or they get rid of him, I definitely think he will be in their Hall of Fame when his career is over. He has done more than enough, more than enough, to earn a spot in the Packer Hall of Fame. I can't even think of the last uh, great Packers running back. I mean, before Aaron Jones. I really can't. Uh, the, The running backs, you have to look decades back to really find a quality running back with this Packers organization. I mean, Amon Green wasn't bad. But I don't know if I would put put him up right up there with with what Jones was able to do. Right, I, I feel like he has to go on a list. Probably to be like you know top running backs in their franchise history. Yeah, and I'm not saying he's number one, but he has to be at least in the conversation with maybe a top five, top ten list. I mean, I think he's the most dynamic back they've ever had. Because every time he got, every time he had the ball, you did something. You had to feel like something special was going to happen. I think so too. He was always a playmaker. Uh, he he uh, played well in big moments. Uh, you look at guys like Eddie Lacy. That's probably a name that that maybe people would say battled injuries. Yeah, he was somebody who was who, who uh, you always question his durability. He maybe won a Super Bowl with them, but still, I, I would not put him above Aaron Jones. Let's not eulogize Aaron like he's already right. off the Packers, though. Last I checked. 33 is still a Packer. He could very easily be a Packer this upcoming season. And if they do decide to keep him, restructure his contract or whatever, you know, he hasn't left yet. So let's not uh, let's not talk about Aaron Jones in the past tense with Green Bay, at least not yet. Yeah, if he comes back, runs it back with this team, and if Aaron Rodgers is not with them, uh, he could be a, a focal point. Mm-hmm. Going back to what we were talking about of uh, having a full workload as a running back, he could be the guy. If not, I would like to see him be signed by a contender. That, that's my thing. I agree with you. Arturo just uh, tweeted the show at art underscore the fart. And Arturo tweeted, Mike McCarthy already made a ton of questionable decisions before this. As a Cowboys hater, I'm excited to see him make even more now as head coach slash OC. That comes from Arturo here on the program. You can tweet the show just like Arturo at 600 ESPN El Paso. When we come back tomorrow, Signing day in college football. How are the minors shaping up? We'll give you the latest. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. Hey, if you've got a rental property that you're uh, wanting to sell, hey, you got to call Brian Birds and his team, the Brian Birds Home Selling Team, powered by EXP Realty. They can get it done for you just like they did for uh, Thomas and Letty. That's right. They had that rental property in West El Paso, so they were able to get Brian on it. Uh, and man, he did his job as always. Home was listed for one hundred eighty-eight thousand. Then the team and expert marketing went to work. Multiple showings. How about a cash offer? Everybody loves cash, and that's right. Cash offer came in within a week. Deal closed two weeks later, and that was it. Thomas and Letty, they knew they were able to f- spend those holidays worry-free with their family, thanks to Brian Birds and his team. Now, as all of you know, most agents don't start marketing your home until after you sign the listing agreement. But Brian, (laughs) he's a little different. He started that marketing process even before he meets his clients. He's gathering buyers as we speak to buy your home right away. 
So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos. He's the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. Brian Birds. Find him online at brianbirds.com or Google him. B-U-R-D-S and start packing. And who knows? You could be the next success story we talk about on Sports Talk. And all the resources they have, and not to mention, forget the financials, the momentum they That's have right. around their team. That, it's going to be an exciting day tomorrow. I'm with you. We'll have it all for you starting at 4 o'clock when Sports Talk takes the air on signing day. Up next, Eric Alwyn, Track Talk, coming up here, 600 ESPN El Paso. everybody as we get set for another edition of track talk back with us is eric alwin the voice of sunland park racetrack and casino as uh, what a weekend it was folks stakes races galore especially on sunday my goodness gracious but we had one on saturday as well and uh, eric you talked about this weekend you said this was the ultimate and Sure enough, it, it had a chance to live up to the hype, didn't it? Some upsets, some uh, some favorites, a little bit of everything this weekend at the track. Sure was, Steve. It was the, the Luis Fuente show on Sunday. I can't remember a time where, you know, a jockey won four consecutive races and three of them stakes like like Luis did. I mean, it was, it was really amazing. It was also the Todd Fincher show. Some of those wins for Luis came from uh, Todd Fincher horses, but we got a little bit of a bit of a peek of what the Sunland Derby is going to look like mm-hmm. in two months. And, uh, well, what do you know? It Arizona invaders came in and, uh, took the pie, took the candy. And we're actually even headed at the top of the stretch. This one in Vermillion showed a lot of guts. So a ton of guts did all the heavy lifting in that race, set the pace was headed. I was pretty much calling them out, you know, beaten at about quarter mile marker, but then, Found another uh, reservoir of energy and in the end won easily. Wow. Well, it's it's a great storyline. Um, well, first off, uh, listen, I love upsets. And when you talk about what My Heart Jess uh, Runs did, that was, uh, that was huge. And sometimes, isn't it interesting when you'll see a three-year-old that nobody really is thinking about and ends up winning the biggest race uh, of their career? And not only that, uh, you know, Maria Delgado, um, I mean, uh, Mario Delgado, probably somebody that if you don't follow horse racing, you need to start to learn this name a little bit, don't you? Especially in the quarters. Yes. Probably one of my bigger gaffes in handicapping. I'll, I'll man up and say that. This horse impressed in the trials. Of course, that we had a lot of trials. But... For me not to put James J. Gonzalez III, who is the hottest trainer in the last two years here, corridors-wise, at Sunland, I was pretty pissed. I mean, I should have been on that horse. Yeah, but and listen. 11 and a half to one? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, we talked about James J. Gonzalez III all, all season last year, right? 
He was winning, I think he won the shoe fly last year. And he won all those other big New Mexico bread stakes. But the key to it was James being the trainer. And this is a filly that wasn't worn out as a two-year-old. Remember that. That's the key thing for success at three. Normally. Normally. Sometimes, occasionally, you'll see a world champion be great at two, three, and four. But a heavy campaign at the age of two tends to wear you out. You know, like like in the NFL playoffs, who's the healthiest? Who's the who's got the most life left in the legs? And this filly did that. She had some good breeding, was out of an FDD dynasty mare. The price was right. The only thing I can say in my defense is it was a, a pretty tough race. There were so many horses coming off wings. It was a little hard to differentiate, but uh, the stats don't lie. James J. Gonzalez has sent about 25 horses to the races this year. 10 have won. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know. Sometimes handicapping, Steve, is is that simple. But you got to get through all the rest of the mess. You know, you gotta you gotta look at that. And uh, when it comes to big money races, you must have a trainer like that. You know, a, a tried and true trainer that gets the most out of their horses. Because in a 400 yard race, you can't make any mistakes. You can't can't get left at the gate. Can't stumble. You can't act up. You can't be fidgety. You can't be nervous. Therein lies the impact a trainer has with a, with a horse because the trainer spends every day with a horse. Jockey doesn't. So it was a great gamble if you had it. If you had those top two, Steve, oh. you know what the exact it was worth? I saw just Almost under two, just, just under two. $200, Eric. one ninety two sixty. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Sure, you would have maybe gone three or four deep, but as long as you've got that horse as your key, that's the way you make money in this game. Was um now was Wood D Queen also another horse that was not on your radar? No, she was, but not to win, yeah. not to win, yeah. but only part of an underbelly of the ticket because she ran a really good second in the trials. I forget uh, who she was second to, but one of the you know one of the contenders. I thought Flash Divine ran okay, but but I guess it just wasn't going to be his day. I think he was fourth or fifth, beaten by the length. If you want to write home to mama about an excuse, maybe Wahini going to her knees at the at the you know at the start. I mean, bad, bad stumble, completely out of the running at the start. But uh, it was certainly a great day for the Gonzalez team. They looked really happy in the winter circle, and their go-to rider is Mario Delgado. Uh, Eric Alwyn with us right now. We're talking uh, track talk here on uh, Sports Talk as we continue. So Sunday was the big day. The Riley, the Riley Allison Derby just won a four major stakes races. One of my favorite horses' names, one in Vermilion. One in Vermilion, three consecutive stakes wins. Uh, and, and again, uh, you know, you, you win the Riley Allison. That's a big deal. Harry Hernandez was the rider. Esteban Martinez Valdez, the trainer. And uh, this it was uh, really a, a terrific uh, race, wasn't it? Especially when it you was. look at Fleet of Flags and what that horse was able to do and, and how this one uh, also, uh, an impressive finish and giving really um, one in Vermillion that opportunity now to try to get into the uh, Sunland Derby later in the meet. You know, Steve, I follow the Arizona circuit pretty close because they mimic or they're close to our level uh, in the thoroughbreds, not in the core horses, of course. But uh, this was a horse that uh, had shown talented too, <clears throat> a lot of talented too. But they they didn't run too much. 
Then he comes back late in his campaign at two and starts revving up again. And I really thought he was going to be overmatched in this race because you had Todd Fincher. You had Todd Fincher with, I think, uh, three horses in the race. One of them scratched. By the way, Malmo is a is one to watch today for, for your listeners and watchers. But uh, one in Vermillion is ridden by fantastic rider who we might have spoken of a little bit last year. I'm not sure. Harry Hernandez. He won the KLQ handicap, you know, back on opening weekend. And he's a jockey that's won 235 races last year. That's big time. That puts him in like, you know, the national elite level. It's hard for a jockey to win 235 races in a year, especially in a quarter horse dominated situation like Arizona and well in New Mexico is. He does most of his riding at uh, in Arizona, but he does go to Canterbury. It's another racetrack that kind of is like Sunland, very much like Sunland, uh, uh, you know, a very successful racino mm-hmm. with big money. And I think Harry goes out there. But uh, this season at Turf, Harry's dominated again. He's way in front of the standings. For some reason, Minister of Soul didn't fire for Harry uh, in our featured uh, sprint stakes, the Fort Bliss. But he got this other one to run, one in Vermillion. And I'm also a big fan of trainer Esteban Martinez. He, he has horses really ready to go. Now, I don't know what happened to American Outlaw. I mean, he looked like he was rolling. He was amped up. He was under a hold with Luis Fuentes at the top of the stretch. I don't know. Could that be not running on Lasix? Mm. Maybe. Maybe. See, that's another wrinkle. You got to You got to. You got to put that into your handicapping machine because mm. in all of our stakes, no, you don't get that anti-bleeding medication anymore. Yeah. You know, due to the feds. So, um, I mean, it makes it tough because most of these horses had run on license prior. No surprise in the Jameson Memorial Handicap, right? That race pretty yeah. much finished true to form, didn't it? Well, no surprise at who won it, but it was a deep race and it was so close at the wire, I really couldn't call it. I was trying to call Chief Trade the winner with about 100 yards to go because I could tell that Luis Fuentes had him in a great position, and Luis was going for his fourth straight. So all that excitement was pent up. But there were there were 10 other horses in that race that were trying hard. And darned if Dallas Barton's horse emerges with about a furlong and a half to go, that's Thunderdome, and makes one bold, valiant bid and comes up the smallest of noses short. It was too close to call. Could have almost been a dead heat. But Cheese Trey deserved it and is now kind of put himself at the top spot of New Mexico bred older runners. He could be a lot to handle uh, on Sunland Derby Day in uh, maybe the NMSU sticks. What a weekend. Uh, what a day for Luis Fuentes. My God, wow. he wins three stakes races. A couple of those belong to Todd Fincher as well. I mean, that's just that's that's ridiculous. When was the last time you could look at a day when you had four major stakes races and we've got one jockey winning three of those four? Hard, never happens. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Maybe it's happened once or two, once or twice. You know, it's very, very seldom that we have four stakes races for the thoroughbreds in one day. The only other day that I can think of, Steve, is Sunland Derby Day, and I can tell you very, very confidently that I've never seen any jockey win four or five stakes races on that one day. Yep. Luis is is a really clutch rider. I mean. Well, that's why he was our top thoroughbred rider last year. But I think he's even better now. He's putting it all together. He can win on any style of horse. For example, 
you know, Cheese Tray is a bit of a closer, stalking type. And Luis, you know, plots out a terrific uh, path to victory for Cheese Tray. And he needed to because he barely won. But then conversely, Luis was on a front runner in the border plex stakes. The, the, the lesser regarded Todd Fincher horse, I might say. Horse that I liked, but Christian Diora was just coming off a maiden win at Zia, where her counterpart, the other Todd Fincher horse, the one to five favorite, was a quarter million dollar sales purchase, had won a big stakes at Zia, and she almost falls to her knees at the start. See how racing works? Yeah. Any kind of a mistake, at least that much can get a massive favorite beat in racing and christian dioro and luis took advantage of that once flying connection stumbled like a you know a duck out of the gate the whole complexion of the race changed christian dioro became the lone leader and luis knew exactly what to do he rationed out conservative tempo didn't over race her while flying connection was in flight or flight mode trying to make up a 10 length deficit and Christian Dioro held on to win, by, I think, by about a neck. But again, it was because of Luis that he was able to pull that off, uh, upset off. Give me a preview of this weekend. We've got the Star Western Wear Stakes. That's the highlight on Saturday for quarters, the 870 for four-year-olds and older. And then for the thoroughbreds, the La Coneja Stakes. That's the 20th running for uh, thoroughbreds, the six furlong race. Can I, get, can I start with the La Coneja? Please. All of our programs and condition books have this horse on the uh, the cover. She's our cover girl, Belladonna. She's the next coming of Pepper's Pride, if she's not already. She's only lost one time, Steve, I think in 15 races. She is the star of the New Mexico bred female division. And uh, we almost thought she was gonna run an opening weekend, but they preferred this, this situation where she's going to face a lot of horses, but none that she can't handle. Unless something really drastic were to happen at the start. And even if it did, I think she could overcome it. She is a, you know, a real battler and a, a, just a, a wonderful filly. Now she's a mare. She's earned three quarters of a million dollars. She won the quarter million dollar New Mexico Breeders Oaks last year. I've had the pleasure of getting to call her throughout the state. She ran at Albuquerque and won a couple of times. She she did great at Zia, and I think she's going to use the La Senora as a, or the La Cunena as a springboard to maybe get another win on Southern Derby Day. She's quick, but you know what? She doesn't mind uh, routes. She's done well routing. The La Cunena will be right up her alley. You know, she's a she's a she's a natural sprinter, and I look forward to her. I think. Guess who? Guess who rides her? Of course, Luis Fuentes. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Sometimes racing makes a lot of sense. The best horses attract the best riders mm -hmm. and so forth. Now, at 870 race, I'm going to have to study a little bit. Um, I think Hollywood, uh, Big Hollywood is running. I think that's a thoroughbred. It's not out of the realm of possibility that a thoroughbred could win that type of a race. I didn't see too much as far as superstars' talent uh, going against him. Um, there is a horse on the rail, though, that I am concerned about. A quarter horse called El Vital, who has shown a propensity for liking 870. And that's a quarter horse that in the past maybe wasn't all that successful going the straightaway distances. But she he ran here the other day going 870 and won in a, in a canter. 
So we could have a thoroughbred running against a quarter on Saturday? Yes. As we normally do in races going 870. Okay. 870. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Not not 100% true that it's all quarter versus days because thoroughbreds deserve a shot going 870. I got you. Well, again, it's a big weekend of live racing here at uh, Sunland Park uh, Racetrack and Casino. Eric, it's another terrific week of track talk. Thanks so much for giving us the lowdown, and we'll look forward to uh, checking back with you again next Tuesday. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Steve. You got it. Eric Alwyn, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Charlie One next with this traffic update. Welcome back, everybody, as Sports Talk continues. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. This man has joined us in studio over the years. Matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago we were talking to him. And now he's got a chance to play football in Italy with Scorpions Varese, American football. Calvin Brownholtz is joining us on the program, and we welcome Calvin back to the show. Happy New Year, and good to have you back. How you doing? Doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this big opportunity, and it's all recent, all uh, fresh and new, so I'm happy to share with you guys. Well, we're happy to hear about it because I'll be honest with you, Calvin, of all the uh, post-UTEP uh, ventures, playing professional football in Italy was not on my um, not on my list. I'm not going to lie to you. This one, this one completely caught me off guard. Tell me about it. Yeah, so uh, it caught me off guard, too. You know, I thought I was retired from football and um, working back home with the family business for the first couple weeks of the year and I got a text and a call from uh, Coach Nick Holt, and he's a head coach there. And I saw a little text, and I didn't think much of it. And he saw I'm the head coach of this, the Veresta Scorpions. And I was like, you know, I'll just give him a call. I didn't think anything of it. And we talked for about 45 minutes, and he told me the whole thing. And to be honest, I didn't know they played American football nearly. And I knew there was some in Germany because there's a couple – actually top football players and friends that played over in Germany. But, um, yeah, I, I talked to him for about 45 minutes, got the whole rundown, and I uh, heard the professional league. And um, you had to go over there and play football. I thought it was a pretty awesome opportunity. And, you know, I know I still got some left in the tank. And I said, why not? I'll never get this opportunity again. And, yeah, so I'm uh, committed to do it, and I'll be out of here in a couple weeks. So, um you put that highlight video together. Did you expect to get the kind of response from minor fans begging you to come back for another year like we started seeing on social media? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen it after I posted a couple other things on social media. Um, the postseason post that I posted back in December. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, I did expect it. You know, it's, it's kind of nice to see an appreciation for all the work I put in over the past years. But, uh, oh, he should have been starting. He should have done this. But, you know, I'm not one to complain. I've I've loved my role at UTEP, although it didn't pan out the, exactly the way I wanted it to with playing time or not. It, sure. I ended up having uh, – my career ended and I had a lot of fun with the guys that I did it with. And, you know, it was a fun way to go out, being the underdogs and be, getting so close. But – uh, yeah, it's nice to see a little bit of the appreciation from work over the years. 
so you go back and you told us you're going to go work in the family business. So you lived up to mm-hmm. your, uh, you know, you lived up to your promise. You're there for just a little while. And then you mentioned it. Um, interestingly enough, Nick Holt was the uh, co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach for Purdue. And he's a native of San Jose, California. Did you know him back in those days when, you know, you were uh, really rising up the ranks in, uh, in California playing high school ball? You know, it's funny. Uh, no, I, I actually never heard of Nick Holt. And uh, you'd think I would, the whole Northern California connection. But no, when he texted me a couple weeks ago, I had never heard of him before. But, uh, no, I've seen his tenure, and he's he's been in a lot of places, a lot of successful places, SC back in the early 1000s, and UW during a successful point in their career, and Purdue and Western Kentucky. So, yeah, it's cool to be uh, – recognized by him and recruited by a guy with such a a rich history of football in the game. First off, you probably thought you were getting spammed and wondering if you clicked on something you, <laughs> you were going to, you know, your phone was going to be taken over. But when you realized it was legit, did you ask, did you ask him how he found you? Yeah. So it was actually in the original text message he sent. Coach Holt, the Scorpions professional football team from Italy. He said, I was referred by Coach Dimmel, and mm. so that that's how. But I called Coach Dimmel the next day and talked to him, and he told me a lot of great things about Nick and how they've talked in the past. I don't think they've ever coached together, but they've known each other for a while. And um, when I was talking to Coach Dimmel, he said, "You know, I knew you'd, I knew you would uh, jump at this opportunity because I know guys like you who have a little left in the tank, and I know they can still get some more in the game." So yeah, Coach Dimmel's the one who referred me. Not to mention the fact, Calvin, you're going to be getting paid to go to Italy. I mean, think about that in itself. I'm going to be spending a few days in the summer there, and it's going to cost me a a pretty penny. And here you are. You're going to be earning a paycheck with a chance to go tour the country and see everything. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the best parts of the experience. And when I brought it up to my parents, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this opportunity. I just joined the business, and my parents were – they really said, you'll never get this opportunity again in your life. But your family business will always be here for you, you know. And um, even though I enjoy that work with my dad and that opportunity, they said, you know, you'll never get the chance to play football in Italy and get everything paid for and sign a contract. So you better jump out and, you know, take that opportunity. And, and I did. So I think it's a pretty awesome experience. You know, you ta- you mentioned your dad. It's so interesting, Calvin, because you come from a family of a bunch of football guys. I mean, your dad was a, a big football guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played at, at Georgia. He played center. Your uncle Billy Volek played in the NFL for nine seasons. Is this is this you know conversations like this easier to have with guys like this who understand the game and understand how important it is? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think that the football tenure in my family is. Uh, attached to every single person, even my brothers. Cole, my older brother, played football Hawaii and Incarnate Word. Little brother Cade at Oregon State. And my mom and dad met through football, and my grandpa coaches Hack State. I can go on about everybody in my family, but uh, yeah, just it, it's pretty easy with opportunities, especially going back to recruiting for college and high school and things like that. But yeah, as far as conversations like that, it's normal, and you know they understand. The, pressures of being an athlete and recruiting and, you know, steps it takes to get to the next level. But, 
yeah, it's, it's a common talk, but that's a pretty cool opportunity. Calvin Brownholtz joining us here on Sports Talk as we continue. It's an amazing opportunity for you. I'm sure the brothers never had the chance to do this. That's for sure. And, you know, here you are getting that getting that chance. Are you going to be uh, competing for the number one job? As, are they going to give you the number one job right out? Is that like give me a little bit of an idea about what the competition is going to be like at quarterback for you? Yeah, um, yeah, so obviously it's a lot different in a lot of ways as far as you know, competitiveness. I know it's not as competitive as it is in the United States, and it's more of a club-oriented professional sport, as you would say. But um, they get two, they get two American imports to choose from. So um, I was one of those two, obviously, and another one is an old linebacker from Western Kentucky. Um, but yeah, pretty much they're throwing you right in the spot and they're giving you the position. I think there's another quarterback over there. Um, we actually met on the phone a couple of days ago, but yeah, you're going there. You're one of the two Americans that they're signing and uh, yeah, they're throwing you right in the start. So I think that's pretty cool in the professional side of things. That's amazing. I mean, that's the best part right there. You got job security, you know, you're going to get an opportunity. Um, what months will you be playing out in Italy? What's the schedule like over there? So it's a spring league. It's, a, it's an eight game season with, uh, three playoff games and the third one being the championship. So it's a spring league and they start the first game's March 5th and it's all teams within Italy, the Italian league of football, it's called. And so I'll be heading there in about a week. Once I get my visa all squared away, cause um, I had to do all that paperwork cause I'm going to be there for longer than 90 days. Um, so yeah, it's the eight, eight game season and their fall camp, their fall camp is, all of February, so I'll hop right into everything and uh, get back in the groove of things. But, yeah, their championship game is actually in Toledo, Ohio on July 1st, so that's kind of funny. That's but, uh, that's the craziest yeah, thing I've ever heard. I know, right? <laughs> it's a little different, but, uh, you know, American football is American football, so that yeah, doesn't change. That's true. Maybe we need to petition and move it from Toledo to El Paso and put in the Sun Bowl in July. It'll be a hundred degrees. It'll be perfect. And if you're playing in there, we get all the <laughs> we get all the minor fans to come and watch you play. It'll be it'll be the uh, the ultimate situation. It'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I'll be sure to mention that to the guys. Plus, El Paso is a lot better city than Toledo. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it'd be fun to the Sun Bowl two that's true um by the way um where is this city in terms of the landscape of italy did you ask where exactly they're located and kind of a little bit more about uh, the you know the, the city you're going to go to yeah pretty quickly i mean i hopped on uh to see where varese was I mean, during the phone call and he mentioned it because i'm like wow italy that's pretty awesome so i i looked it up and it's a it's a city outside of milan which is uh northern Italy, and Varese is about an hour away, hour drive away from Lake Como, which is a lot of people know where Lake Como is. It's one of the prettiest lakes in the world. And, um, yeah, so it's northern Italy, outside of Milan, and it's a beautiful city, and I think it'll be an awesome experience to go experience such an old part of the world. And um, Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. I just Googled it. This place is amazing. Wow. I mean... The views are yeah. the views are ridiculous. In fact, hopefully, as part of your contract, you can negotiate like a, an apartment on the hill that overlooks the whole the whole town. Because if you do that, <laughs> you, it's like you've won the lottery. 
yeah, no, it's, uh, I just, I'm so anxious to get over there and I've seen so many things and, um, so many things are popping up on social media, Italy now and things like that. It's kind of funny that, uh, your phone listening to you and then shooting out a bunch of things about Italy and where to go, what to do and things like that. But yeah, Verista is a beautiful city and, uh, you know, I'm getting contacted by a lot of the guys on the team about their excitement to have me there and guys calling me, introducing me. So I think these, uh, you know, the Italians, they open you, they welcome you with open arms and very hospitable, like a lot of my uh, family in El Paso. So there's a lot of similarities there, but uh, pretty cool people on the team already that I've met and coaches and players. Calvin, um, I want to ask you this. If things go well in the Italian Football League and you have some success over there, over here uh, in Canada, they have two quarterbacks on every down. Every single team has two quarterbacks um, You know, when they play on offense. Could you see yourself maybe finding your way playing uh, you know, Canada, maybe playing in the XFL or some of the other leagues here in America or Canada? Yeah, of course. I always keep my options open and um... – you know, if some uh, an opportunity arises out of this, I'll jump after it like I did this one. So I'm never going to close my door to other opportunities. So yeah, if I do well, um, you know, I'll definitely keep my options open. But it's taking it one year at a time now, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, excited to start in the rest. What if you become like the Patrick Mahomes of Italy? And I mean. You know, you light this place <laughs> on fire. Next thing you know, you love Italy. And before you know it, you're like a mainstay over there. And they start buying your jerseys and everybody's talking about you. And the legend of Calvin Brownholtz in Italy just becomes uh, something spectacular. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I've, uh, apparently, I made the paper today. Someone sent me a picture over there in Italy. But, uh, no, that would be pretty cool. I'm just I'm so excited to get over there and... You know, teach teach a lot about the game from uh, my knowledge, and I'm um, you know going some football games, and it's an awesome part of the world. So, yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I, hopefully, I can get some jerseys and whatnot. Some guys are already asking me when a Scorpions jersey with my number on it. I know he's really busy right now, but any chance you uh, got a chance to talk to Jordan Palmer, somebody you trained with in the past? Uh, he's doing a lot for the XFL in their preparation, but uh, any, any uh, contact with him? No, I haven't talked to Jordan in a while, but um, you know, I, I was actually thinking that the other day. I just texted him and let him know what's going on and uh, his thoughts of it because you know, I've worked with Jordan in the past. And, you know, As you guys all know, he's uh, really knowledgeable in the game of football and working with you know, NFL prospects and whatnot. So, yeah, I might reach out to him soon, but no, I haven't talked to him. All right. Um, as far as what to expect from you uh, with this team, did they tell you that they want you to run a lot and kind of be that mobile quarterback? Did they want you to be more of a pocket passer to sit back and throw? Because as you said, it's club ball, it's Italy. Yep, they've got a college coach, but um, you know what are their expectations for you at, at quarterback? You know, it's funny you say that because Coach Holt said, uh, bring your playbook over from UTEP because I like a lot of that. Coach Dimmel, K-State running quarterback stuff. And I got all excited about that because I was like, yeah, that's my thing. So obviously they want me to throw the ball and run the ball. But I think he wants to use my legs a little bit more um, because of he's what he's seen the past couple uh, years and what I can do with my legs. But, yeah, it's, it's an air raid offense, so um, nothing too complicated. But, uh, yeah, no, he, 
he wants me to um, bring a lot of the K-State side of UTEP football to Italy. So I think that'll be fun to bring my knowledge of the game and um, my niche of football to Fantastic. The Wildcat will live out there in Varese. That is good news. We want to hear that, Calvin. Mm -hmm. Tell them about the gadget play, too, on fourth down. Oh, yeah. You got to. Yeah, we got to keep that quiet. Nobody can know that, not even the Italian. No. Save that one one for Toledo, right? Yeah. (laughs) Save it for the big game. Yeah, no, I completely understand. That was a crazy. Keep forgetting about that, but it was a big play. We need to uh, make sure we can stream these games. I'll be honest with you. I've got, like, nothing to think about as far as football in the spring. And if I know I can watch Calvin Brownholtz on some kind of crazy time delay where, who knows, it's like, you know, a 3 in the morning and I'm turning on the t- and I'm turning on my laptop or my phone and I'm seeing you playing in an Italian game, that's, that's the kind of stuff I need. That's my kind of spring entertainment. Yeah, no, it's. From where I am, because I, I only talk to these coaches and GMs from a certain period of the day. They're nine hours ahead of me, so they'll be eight hours ahead of you guys. Uh, but yeah, they'll be streaming. They told me and things like that. So good. Once that all comes out, uh, you know, upcoming, I'll let you guys know and everybody know. But uh, yeah, it's uh, nine hours ahead, so might have to be up a little early for those afternoon games if you want to watch. It's all right. You make sure you tweet those links out so we can go check that out for you. I'm excited. All right, Will listen. Do. This is the greatest interview. I'm being honest with you. I love this. You're the first ever former minor to go to Italy, and that is playing football, not basketball. <laughs> and uh, I'm uh, I'm super excited for you. I love the fact that you broke this on your social media account this week. And, uh, hey, as always, thanks for hopping in with us on the show and, uh, and, and giving us the lowdown of what to expect. Steve, Adrian, it's always a pleasure, and uh, you know, appreciate it, guys. And uh, yeah, go Miners, man, and go Scorpions, now. That's right, go Scorpions. Keep in touch. Who do you like, KC or Philly, in the uh, Andy Reid Bowl? I gotta go with Philly. I would say, yeah, I, I'm gonna say they're gonna be they're the underdog in this one. Um, you know, this team hasn't had a ton of guys in the Super Bowl, but and KC hasn't recently. But I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm a Jalen Hurts fan, so I'm gonna go. Philly. All right. We've got you down. Appreciate it, Calvin. Keep in touch. And again, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes here on the show today. Thank you, guys. Calvin Brownholtz, folks. Brand new Scorpions quarterback out there for Scorpions, Vanessa in Italy. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. We got so much more coming up. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. It was alive till 7 o'clock when this show ends here on Sports Talk. Our thanks again to Calvin Brownholtz for joining us on the show. And happy for an opportunity. And by the way, just so you can hear, uh, there was never even a thought of Calvin coming back to UTEP. He was done. Hung up the cleats, working for the family business, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, 
this random text comes, and next thing you know, he's heading to Italy. Unbelievable. Great story, and it's because he's a football guy and he comes from a football family, so they all understand. I, I think it takes a certain person to commit to doing something like this, and you have to really love the game, and maybe it's beyond love. You have to have a passion for it. It has to be on your mind 24-7, and uh, somebody like this who has the hunger for the sport, uh, making this decision probably for him was a no-brainer. I mean, he wants to be involved in conversations like this to play professionally, which is awesome. Yeah, it's true. And and who knows where it leads? I mean, the best part is, and as Calvin mentioned to us in that interview, um, he couldn't not say, uh, you know, he couldn't turn it down because as his family said to him, you'll never get another chance like this. Take it. It's your last shot in football. But you know what? If we could give any advice to him, actually, I should text him this after the fact. He should really text Jordan Palmer. He should text the people he knows because it's connections that brought him to Italy. It will be connections that he tries to make in the future to get him to maybe another place, another landing spot for That's his true. professional career. That is very true. Um, this came from Adrian at Enemy Win, the number three. Steve, nice win for Terry in Texas last night. I squint my eyes and pretend I'm watching UTEP and Terry in year four. Well, let's put it this way, okay? Um, it was a good win for them yesterday, especially after the bad loss to Tennessee over the weekend. And, you know, Texas is sliding uh, down the rankings. There's no doubt about that. I think the latest uh, rankings I saw has them right now. Um, where are they? They're 10th, I think. That's right, yes. In the AP, 9th in the coaches' poll. Um, but, you know, they needed that win. They, they really did. You kind of look at what Texas is, you know, what, what it's been like for them. And here's the interesting thing. They've won three of their last four. Ever since that loss at Iowa State, I mean, you think about it. Um, they beat West Virginia. They beat Oklahoma State. They beat Baylor last night. That was the game that enemy win number three was talking about. 76-71. The loss at Tennessee was a bad one, but, you know, they've got two very, very tough games coming up in the next week. they got to play at K-State and at Kansas. <laughs> that is so difficult right now for the Longhorns. Like, if they could split and somehow upset one of those two teams, that would be a monster uh, road trip for Rodney Terry. Yeah, it would be. And uh, speaking of uh, Kansas State, who's seventh in the country, they've played Kansas, who's eighth in the country. I mean, those two teams back-to-back for Texas, that's a really good test for the Longhorns. Even if they split that, I'd consider that a pretty good success right there. Uh, you know, got to give credit to Rodney Terry. Got to give credit to this team. Got um, They have not beat Baylor uh, I think I think they were on a long losing streak against Scott Drew and the Baylor Bears, and they finally got over the hump. They did it at home yesterday. They avenged a bad loss against Tennessee. You, you know, we oh, we're kind of waiting—not we, but just the masses—are waiting for Rodney Terry to kind of slide with this Longhorns team. But week in and week out, they're proving that they're one of the premier programs in college basketball. He's eleven and three since he took wow. over the program wow. uh, for Chris Beard. Eleven and three. And, you know, uh, again, it's, it's not easy because the Big 12 is a monster league. It is just an absolute slugfest uh, when you talk about this league. But the good news is, after this ridiculous road trip, um, they get Iowa State at home. Then they, uh, you know, they get Kansas at home. Then they, the tough one's going to be having to play Baylor on the road and TCU on the road. Those will be difficult games. But, you know, and... 
Of course, they got to play K State on the road. And the last time they played K State at home, they gave up 116 points. Yeah. So you got to do things a little different that time around. Yeah, and it's you know another guy in Jerome Tang who's been around. He's also uh, knows the Big 12 inside and out. And uh, Kansas State is a is a dominant program in the Big 12. The Big 12 is stacked. This is a great conference right now. Even the bad teams like West Virginia, Oklahoma State, you can't take those teams lightly either. So I feel like this league, this conference is really strong. Uh, and for Rodney Terry, who took over for Chris Beard, that that Longhorns team is intact. They're they're right there in the mix with being atop that league right there. You're right. Uh, two hours in the books, one to go. We're going to talk uh, baseball and softball in our 6 o'clock hour. Adrian, we're going to have some fun and go. We'll, we'll start with EPCC, and then we're going to go to UTEP softball. That's exactly right. EPCC baseball uh, gets started very soon. And same with UTEP softball. Should be a lot of fun. It would be great to talk with uh, Coach Hubbard uh, at the bottom of our 6 o'clock hour, along with some players, and then meet the uh, EPCC team and, and hear about what they have going on. Uh, so that's all coming up next. Stay with us, folks. We'll come back after Sports Center and we'll take you through our 6 o'clock hour and talk a little baseball and softball right here, 600 CSPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. Man, oh, man, um, it is going to be a busy final hour here on Sports Talk. Looking forward to talking a little EPCC baseball next, Adrian. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah, most definitely, Steve. We don't get a chance to talk about EPC baseball, EPCC baseball enough. And they play in one of the more competitive uh, conferences out there, the Western Junior College Athletic Conference. Uh, got some great teams out there, Steve. We do. And God, it's been a while since we've had a chance to do this on the show. In fact, I'm trying to think. I can't remember. The last time we talked uh, EPCC baseball on the program, it's got to be years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is it's going to be fun. And uh, more than anything else, um, you know, I'm just ready to go. And uh, let's uh, let's do it. In fact, let's uh, go ahead and uh, bring on to the program the the head coach of uh, EPCC, Julian Susi, who joins us on the show right now. Coach, appreciate the time, and welcome to Sports Talk. How are you? Oh, doing well, doing well. Thanks again, guys, for having me on tonight. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for coming on with us. And, uh, Julian, I've heard a lot of really good things about you and uh, about what's going on out at EPCC. So tell me, I mean, things are right around the corner from starting up. How does it feel? The last uh, tweet I saw from you said, new season, new look. So give me a little bit of an idea about uh, what's, uh, what's going to be happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the new look, well, we're, we're fortunate enough to get uh... – Two new uniform tops this year, so it was it's been a long time coming, that's for sure. So we we finally got some, uh, you know, a new new white, new teal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the season's right around the corner. I mean, we open up uh, this weekend in Phoenix, Arizona, at a pretty pretty competitive junior college tournament. I mean, I think the number one team in the country will be there. The number ten team, the number I think fifteen team, and the number twenty three team in the country. So. Um, it'll be pretty competitive, but yeah, you know, on our end, we're, you know, we're excited. I mean, our, our guys are excited. We're young, we're ready. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely ready to see kind of what the season brings. I mean, we prepared all fall for it. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Tell me about the uh, prospect showcase. How did that go? Very good. Very good. I, I always try and host two of them a year. Um, you know, and really, you know, the one the one that I, I host now, um, you know, usually in the winter, whether it's December or January, it's really just to, you know, figure out 
who I need to go watch in the spring or who I need to send my assistants to go watch um, in the spring. So it kind of gives us a better idea of, you know, hey, this senior is, is kind of underlooked and, you know, he comes to our showcase and then I tell my assistants, hey, you know, this is somewhere we need to go be. We need to get their schedule and figure that out. So it really, really, really helps our, our recruiting classes. That's good to hear. Now, since you've arrived at EPCC, what are some of the biggest changes that we're, we've seen with the program? Uh, you know, I think culture. Um, I, I really think culture was a big thing. And, you know, it's just there, there's been so many different head coaches here in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And I've been here. I mean, this is like I'm going on my fourth year now. So, um, you know, I've been here a decent amount of time. But, yeah, I, I think just culture and, and you know, I, I think another thing is getting guys, you know, getting the local teams and the local high school players wanting to play here and, and um, you know, just, just really – being okay with staying home and playing for for the next year or two in college um you know it was tough my first my first year or two it was tough to get you know some of the better local local players to you know kind of convince them to stay here and stay at home and play for a couple years and I think we're starting to get to that point to where we have a legitimate chance at, at some of the better local players and that's that's helped tremendously with our success you you talked about your team being young. Are, are most of the players from El Paso played high school baseball here in El Paso? Is that really what you're looking at right now with this squad? Yeah, you know it's funny because it, it's not that I sit here and say, hey, you know, I'm just going to recruit locally and that's it. And, and it just, you know, we, we sign a player here from El Paso, then a player there from El Paso, and then all of a sudden, you know, you look at your recruiting board you know, when we start fall practice in August and all of a sudden you have, you know, we have 30 kids committed that are from El Paso. So it just, it just happens that way. And I think that's just a testament of, you know, just the baseball, you know, the high school baseball community here in El Paso, just with the, you know, with the, the good coaches that are here, um, just getting their, their kids prepared for college. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in junior college, you're always going to be young, right? You're only going to have freshmen and sophomores anyways. Um, you know, the occasional redshirt sophomore for his third year. Um, but yeah, I mean, every year you're young, but I think this year it's, it's, um, you know, we, we're, we have depth and we're experienced on the mound. Um, you know, a lot of guys have thrown some college innings on the mound, but you know, offensively we, we only have, I'd have to look, but I think we only have two, maybe three guys returning offensively that had more than a hundred at-bats for us last year. That's our second baseman and our center fielder. You know, the rest are all brand new or guys that were just, you know, plug and play guys last year. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting look offensively to, you know, to see how we are especially early cuz it the game speeds up on you pretty quick here in junior college, so. Julian Susi with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Uh I'm curious, as far as experience goes, is it better to be more experienced on the mound at the junior college level or experienced when it comes to your offensive talent? Man, if I had that figured out, I don't. I don't know if I'd be here. I'd be at a different level. Um, I. I don't know. You know. I. I think. You know. You. You say it's better to be on the mound, typically, but. You know. And I mean, you. You guys live in El Paso. You know, it gets super windy out here in the spring. You know, and everywhere we travel to, whether it's. You know, Roswell, Hobbs, uh, Amarillo, Odessa, Midland. You know that wind blows, so it doesn't matter how good you are on the mound because. A routine fly ball could travel 430 feet in this conference. So sometimes, you know, on, on a on a certain year, sometimes it's better to be offensively. Sometimes it's better to be on the mound. I mean, I, I think it's just it just depends on the year, to be honest. Uh, I mean, 
but typically you would stay on the mound, you know, pitching wise. But I, I don't know. I think the wind is kind of an equalizer out here in this conference. How about the baseballs? Are they typically pretty juiced up for you guys, or are they more deadened when it comes to the way they they react off the bat? I, out here again. I mean, we're we're uh, we're a BB core, um, you know, conference, so we're, so we're swinging metal. Yep. So you know, sometimes I mean, man, I, I'm telling you this, I, I've seen some change-ups thrown by pitchers that probably wouldn't even make it to the plate. They would bounce before the plate. And I've seen hitters go out in front and just hit it, and it <laughs> travels 420 feet. Man. So it, it, it's just that wind. I mean, we played a game last year. We were in uh, Hobbs, New Mexico, against New Mexico Junior College. And I think it was sustained winds at 30 to 45 miles an hour blowing just straight out to center field. I think we combined for 14 home runs in a seven-inning ball game. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Does, they become football scores very quick. Does junior college have like a, a, a league like the Cape Cod League where at least kids can get used to swinging wood bats before they go back to playing juco ball? Uh, well, I mean, you know, for the summer ball circuit, um, you know, our guys go really anywhere. I mean, it, 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 you know, we just got one of our guys, I think, just committed to uh, going to the Coastal Plains League, which is out in the Carolinas, which is a, it's a you know, top five league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, junior college guys go out you know, just like everyone else, our catcher last year went out to the MLB Draft League. Um, you know, he's now at Wichita State this year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they go out and do the wood bat circuit. Um, you know, sometimes some of our pitchers, you know, if they throw 60 to 80 innings, they may not go play summer ball because they're they're kind of dead, you know, mm-hmm. arm-wise. Um, but they're actually – so there are some conferences, some junior college conferences that swing just predominantly wood. So the Arizona conference is a wood bat conference. And so when we go there, when we open up in this tournament this weekend, we actually are going to be swinging wood bat. Oh, cool. That's very cool. So um, I, I like that because it just shows you that you got to be versatile. And, you know, there's a difference swinging wood versus swinging BB core, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, we continue our conversation right now with uh, Julian Susi, head coach of the uh, EPCC Tejanos uh, here on Sports Talk. So as far as the guys that you're expecting big seasons from, first and foremost, do we have some legitimate MLB draft prospects? Because it seems like every year, uh, regardless of round, there's always a handful of players that could find them themselves uh, drafted uh, later this summer when uh, Major League Baseball holds that draft? Yeah, you know, it, it, that, that always depends on the year. Um, you know, in the fall, I always host a, um, you know, like a, uh, like a scout showcase type thing to where I, I invite a bunch, of, a bunch of the area professional scouts. Most of them actually live out in Phoenix. Um, they cover this area. Um, but I, I always do one of those in the fall, late October. And we had, you know, I think we had 21 or 22 uh, organizations out here watching our guys and you know it, it's always tough right they're not going to show you their hand early um, they're not going to tell you for the most part unless you're a top you know three or four rounder you don't really have an idea of where you're going to go or even if you're going to go um, you know but guys get turned in and and turned in meaning you know they they put them in you know their system this is a guy we need to follow they may send them a questionnaire here or there um, but yeah I mean you know we've I, offensively, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think so this year. Maybe next year, just because again we're we're very freshman heavy offensively. But I think we have a couple guys on the mound that that do have a chance. Now I think, you know, if this was five years ago and there was still 40, 40 rounds in the MLB draft, I would say we would have one or two pitchers potentially having a good chance to get drafted. But I think now with only twenty rounds, I think that changes a little bit. 
Um, you know, and the money offered isn't that high to most junior college guys. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see. But we do have we have a couple pitchers that, um, I mean, they can run it up there. I mean, we had an arm that was pitcher that was up to 96, 97 this fall. So, Coach, uh, you know, even if they're not necessarily going to uh, to the MLB draft. How many former guys are currently playing on other college rosters right now or have moved on from EPCC, have played uh, with you all, and now are are on to the D1 level or maybe D2 level? Man, that is a great question. Um, Well, uh, last year, my catcher, he's at Wichita State uh, University right now. He's a good good player. My first baseman from last year was at – he's at Palm Beach Atlantic. which is out in Palm Beach, Division II. Um, third baseman is at an NAI school, uh, Texas A&M, Texarkana. Um, and we got a couple other arms that are at some Division IIs. Uh, two, of our, two of our top relief arms from last year, uh, one is at Lamar University out in Beaumont. Uh, another one's at UT Rio Grande Valley. Um, and then again, we have a handful of guys, uh, you know, that are at the Division II NAI level. And then even my first year, there's a few guys um, you know, one's at a Division Two out in Alabama, uh, a couple are at UTPB. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a ton of guys. I mean, I'd have to look through it. I, I would say, I'd probably say 25 to 30. Honestly, I, I mean, last year we placed, I think we placed all 13 or 14 of our sophomores onto to four-year universities last year, you know, whether it be Division One, Two, Three, or, or NEI. Um, and we've got two We've got two kids, uh, two pitchers this year that are committed to Division Ones. We've got one committed to UT Rio Grande Valley, and then another arm is committed to Abilene Christian. All right, that's good to hear. Um, and I guess the biggest thing for you probably is when El Paso has excellent uh, or exceptional, I should say, uh, you know, high school talent, uh, if they're not able to go D1 or go pro out of high school, the key would be to try to get them to stay here and play for you versus go to other junior colleges. So I guess that's really the name of the game when it's all said and done, right? Keeping them around. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Now the thing, you know, you know, a lot of people have a misconception of junior college where, you know, people think it's like, oh, you know, I got bad grades, so I have to go to a junior college. or You know, it, it's usually... That's that's just this weird misconception that you know maybe was true back you know back in the 1990s or 1980s, but nowadays I mean it's it's an option for a lot of people. I mean you can be you know valedictorian and still end up going to a junior college and playing baseball. I mean it that's opens right. up a lot of doors for you. You know maybe maybe your dream school out of high school maybe it's Texas Tech. They're not recruiting you. Well you know maybe you go to a junior college and. You know, gain some experience, get some at bats or innings, whether you're a pitcher or a, or a position player, and you know maybe Texas Tech does call you after your second year, or you know it's just it, it's just a big option for a lot of guys, and also the draft too. You know, if you go to a an NCAA school, you can't get drafted until you're 21 or until you're you completed your junior year. Whereas in junior college, you can get drafted after your freshman year, sophomore year, whatever it may be. So it's a it's a really good option for a lot of places. Um, it just, you know, it depends on if the kids are educated to know it, um, you know, depending on how we talk in the recruiting process and stuff. And the other thing is we don't, you know, whereas division one is they have this calendar where they can practice and when they can't, and they're on an hour restriction and, and, you know, whatever it may be, whereas junior college doesn't have that. We have, we start practice in the fall, August 15th, we're done November 10th, anywhere in between, we can practice however much we want. 
I love that. Well, that really helps. And and I'm sure for you, again, more advantages. I'll ask you this just to wrap things up. You know, we always talk about uh, UTEP bringing baseball back, and we know it's kind of a pipe dream until things change a little bit. Money starts really coming in, and maybe football, men's basketball could start driving the revenue up, and then we could see eventually with Title IX uh, other things added to make it happen. But from a junior college standpoint, how big would it be for you if UTEP eventually did get baseball back? I mean, I, I think it would help our recruiting tremendously because, I, you know, for me, I think it would be one of those pipelines where any of our top players, I mean, they could easily go to UTEP, you know, in a heartbeat, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and right mm-hmm. now our pipeline seems to be New Mexico State. I mean, we send, you know, at least one, one maybe two guys a year to, to New Mexico State. I mean, or they're at least offering one of my guys or at least recruiting one of my guys, whether they go there or not, you know, that's up to the kid. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would help a lot. I mean, it would be, I would imagine in the fall we would play against each other and, you know, the community would come out and support. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would it would benefit us a lot, to be honest. Yeah, who knows? Maybe things could happen down the road and it's it's suddenly a conversation, Julian. It'd be interesting. But in the meantime, I'm looking forward to seeing how things go. Congrats on the uh, new unis. By the way, you guys, you got to convince people to start selling those things because if you made replica jerseys, for uh, especially with the teal look and the white look, I guarantee you there are people in this town that would want to be buying that up so when they go to the games they could start wearing those in the stands. You know, I agree. There's still people that don't realize we have college baseball in town. Yep. You know, so that's, that's, that's step one is just getting that out there and, you know, letting them know, hey, you know, there is a college baseball team down here at the Valley Verde campus, so. All right. Well, baby steps, right? Baby steps. We'll tell people there's there's baby baseball, steps. and then we can work on selling jerseys and merch and everything else. All right. Nicely done. Sure. Hey, appreciate the time. Come back and talk to us again during the season, Coach. Hey, definitely. Thanks, guys, for having me on. You got it. Julian Susi, folks, as we continue. UTEP softball coming up as well. 18 passed as we send it over to Charlie One for this traffic update. EPCC baseball to UTEP softball. That's right. We've got Coach Hubbard here. We've got two of the minors that will be part of this upcoming season. I can't believe it's already here. I mean, really, it's it's a mind-blower. It's still Janu- well, it's January for like another few hours. But yeah. I mean, Adrian, we're, we're in softball season right now. I and know. They, I love it. And they look like softball players. They do. They look like they're ready to start swinging bats and get after it. Maybe because they came off out of practice. That and, could be, uh, that could be it. That's, that's great that they're here. And uh, we just talked to EPCC, now talking some UTEP softball. Love it. Well, first off, let's welcome Coach Hubbard back to the program. You can move that microphone closer to you, Coach. It's it's good to see. I love your baseball cap. How are things going? It's going well, going well. You know, all the kids are uh, – Back in uh, back in school, back in practice, been ramping up over the last several weeks. So good, and uh, training's gone well, and yep. uh, training camp and everything else, and yeah. games are right around the corner, right? Oh, uh, next week! Wow, next so week. it's so it's here. It's here. It's here. A few more the, sleeps. Isn't that the best part about Super Bowl? As soon as Super Bowl's over, then it's right right on the like, like baseball. Yeah, baseball, season. yeah, exactly. It's good. It's the best time of year. It is the best time of year. I totally agree with that. So, um, how has the fall been going? Give me a little bit of an idea of the fall and the winter before we were able to start and ramping things up here. You know, fall went well. You know, we always get to play a couple of those, uh, you know, out of league, um, out of conference games. So we got eight games in. Um, it's been about six or seven weeks uh, in a team setup. Looked really, really good. Um, obviously, then kids have. Shut it down for finals and break and all of that, but we came back early, earlier than we've ever been back um, in January, um, and we've been going since uh, January third, pretty much uh, six days a week. 
Good for you. A lot of newcomers on this year's team. Does does it have a little bit of a different feel to it than what you've been uh, accustomed to since you arrived? Uh, yeah, you know, just the advent of the the transfer portal. I think everyone's probably encountering that from from all sports. Um, being able to have some kids uh, come in maybe a little bit easier or with mm-hmm. more ease than what's been before. So a lot of new kids, a lot of a lot of new faces, a lot of new position players. So. Um, it's good, though. I feel like we've done a really good job culture-wise. I think we've done a really good job chemistry-wise. Kudos to these kids for, for being part of that. But uh, it's exciting. It is, especially since you arrived around COVID time. Uh, January of 2020. Yeah. Right here, like January 6, 2020. So you're the, uh, you know, you, you got lucky. You got a couple of months early, and then all of a sudden, COVID, the gift that keeps on giving. And that's, uh, you know, trying to ultimately build a program when you had to deal with no program for a while when everything shut down and stopped because of COVID. It's the most unlucky situation, I think, for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Got here, and uh, within, I would say, probably 36 to 40 days was uh, shutting it back down. So oh. very, very like up in roller coaster so. and you got a couple of players with you right now Anna Samples here and yeah. uh, also uh, Leah Alarcon is here so you, you brought to back one of your best returning position players and uh, one of your best uh, returning pitchers a little yeah. bit of everything yeah I mean if if I was going to pick any kids from last year's uh, group um, that had a, a big part um, in what we did on the field is these two kids what impressed you the most about him before we bring him on? I'll let you let you gush about him for a little bit right in front of him and make make them feel a little bit more comfortable. Well, I think I think one thing to to understand about Anna um, Anna came in as an outfielder. Um, Anna came in as a, a different position, and I told her within the first couple of weeks, "Hey, we're going to make you a first baseman." And her eyes got like this big. She's like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. And I said, "You're going to play first base." And the kid has put in hours upon hours upon hours of work. Um, she's probably one of the best first basemen we have, and I think she did a phenomenal job last year um, in some of the situations we had her in. And then Aaliyah over there comes in as a freshman, and uh, for the most part, the first three, four, or five weekends of the year just uh, proceeds to mow some people down and, and put herself in a really good spot to lead the, the staff. I like that. Um, first off, I like the fact you're not afraid to ch- ch- change positions a little bit on players. What did you see with Anna that you wanted to you know, switch her out of the outfield and put her at first? Well, we, we knew offensively she was always going to be um, a projected kid in the lineup. Yeah. Where it was, we weren't sure. Um, and we knew we had a stable full of outfielders that were a little bit faster, you know, more slapper-type kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to make sure we kept her bat in the lineup. Um, so that was a good spot. I felt like that was a, a position that she could play and, and do well at. Um, I think she was nervous the first year and a half, and I think she's pretty <laughs> comfortable now. Okay, well, let's ask her, Anna. <laughs> welcome back uh, to the show. Good to see you. Good and to see tell you. Me, was it was it a little nervous for you when you found out you were making the position switch? Uh, yeah, it was actually really nerve wracking. <laughs> now, uh, what what outfield spot were you used to the most? Center, left, right? What'd you like to play? Um, I'd played everywhere, but mostly center. Okay, which means uh, you know if you're playing center field, you got to have range because you're going to be utilizing your speed, covering both grounds, and then you go to first. Now, some people would say it should be easy going to first base from uh, the outfield because you're not having to move as much. You have to be quick though; you got to go laterally. And is it more about learning the base and learning where to position yourself, and and when you're dealing with you know pickoffs and things like that, how to make sure that you're you know you're playing the spot properly? Uh, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Definitely. Moving over there from the outfield, my reaction time was definitely, like, it was pretty bad whenever I went over there. But mostly everything about the position is, like, it's really hard to learn at first. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. So, you know, I, I'm, are you a lefty? No, I'm a righty. So I'm a lefty, and I played the outfield because lefties can't play many spots when we're playing baseball. It's pretty much first base, the outfield, and that's it, or you pitch. And um, 
I switched over to first. I love first base. I do. I, I'm, I feel like I'm a natural at first because I, I, I try to field everything, whether it's a scoop or it doesn't matter what. And um, for me, I've slowed down as I've gotten older, and first base is the perfect spot for me. But that's not the same for a college athlete. So you tell me, what was the biggest transition as you've learned the position and what you had to do? Um, definitely like situational. In the outfield, I knew that I had a little bit more time to think about each plays and everything. And uh, coming into the infield, definitely like my mindset and how I think about plays and how I think about batters coming up uh, was really important. Yeah, and the truth is you don't have a lot of time. There's very little reaction time because balls jump off those bats so fast. You've got to be right down and, and, and sometimes taking balls off your body and, and just getting in front of it and making sure that the ball doesn't go into the outfield. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. How about uh, how about hitting? Tell me, is that something that's always been ever since you arrived here from Oklahoma been pretty uh, pretty natural for you hitting the baseball? Uh, yeah, always. Uh, I've always been a power hitter, but yeah, it wasn't really much different. So, so. so for as a power hitter, I'll, and I'll ask you this, Coach, because she has power. I look, she's got a, an OPS over eight hundred from last season. Yep. Batting average in the high 250s, what would you like? Do you want to see that batting average creep up a little bit more? Or are you happy that ultimately when you're dealing with a power hitter, sometimes they'll sell out contact for power to drive the ball to all fields? Yeah, I think, you know, at least in our game, um, the ability to have the extra base hits is always, um, from my opinion, um, always gives you the the higher expectation of being able to drive runs in. So extra bases, you know, because you can score practically from anywhere on the field with an extra base hit from second base. Mm -hmm. Um, So in her situation, um, I'm okay. I mean, I think anybody would love to see the batting average creep up, um, but... My big deal is slugging percentage and RBIs. I was going to say, you don't want to see the batting average creep up at the expense of the power numbers. Correct. Correct. And Anna, you tell me, as you look at yourself the last couple of seasons, heading into this year, where do you feel you can grow the most as a hitter up at the plate? Um, definitely like being smart uh, in my at-bats. Like I know home runs are great, uh, hitting the ball is great, but mostly like hard contact, getting through the infield, getting on base, uh, really just getting singles, getting doubles. Okay. Really important. Are you a dead pull hitter? You like to hit it to all spray it to all fields. Um, I'm definitely like a oppo hitter yeah. m- mainly. So that's good. But you have home run power. When you want to connect, that ball's jumping off the bat and going over the wall. Yes, sir. That's great. I like that. And then, Coach, you got a big smile on your face. Yeah, so you know that. Yeah. Minor fans will be expecting that from Anna this year. Yeah, and she's got the solid oppo power, not like yeah. the little. It's like <laughs> she does. It's it's definitely. Like when she when she connects, you're like, wow. Really? Yeah. Have you been playing baseball or softball your whole life? Yeah, since I was about four. Oh, very four nice. Five. Now, did you did you start playing baseball with the boys and then you move over to softball? You've been playing softball the whole time. No, softball the whole time. Who's your favorite? Uh, who's your favorite player to watch? Who do you enjoy the most? Uh, Shelby Pinley is my favorite pro softball player. Okay. Is the ultimate dream would be obviously trying to play for Team USA? Would that be something that would just yeah. be an unbelievable opportunity? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. How about this? How about this team this year? Tell me a little bit about the minors and what you've seen so far in your workouts. Um, so far, I really think that we're looking good. I think that our offense and defense really holds it down. Uh, I think that our pitching has improved like phenomenal, phenomenally actually. Um, That's good. Yeah, I think Chiefs over here has done really well too. So, I think we're looking pretty good for this year. What'd you call Aaliyah? Cheeps. <laughs> Cheeps? Yeah, that's her nickname. All right, we'll have to ask her about that. We'll find <laughs> out about that. Uh, Coach, you've told me this since we first met. You said that the key to this 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 uh, team in this league pitching. I mean, you want you want good offense, but ultimately you're going to win and, and and die by the the arms you've got in your stable. Absolutely, 
It's it's one of those I think over the the last eight to ten years is one of those where you can't do it with just one anymore. Yeah, um, it's really tough to do it with two. You got to have three, four, maybe even five, um, and it's you know five games in a three day period. So it's it's a lot. Uh, in my opinion, a lot rides on what's in the circle. How tough is it to build a staff uh, versus build an offense? I've I've found over the years um, it's harder to build the staff than build the offense. For sure, I figured. All right, it's it's tough. Aliyah, you're coming up next. Uh, you're in the hot seat. We'll have a chance to talk to you in a moment. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much, uh, uh, ladies. I will say this: your Texas Western jerseys are very cool. Those of all the uniforms I've seen, the white Texas Western look is 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 pretty spectacular, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. I actually like it. What about you, Aaliyah? That's my all-time favorite. All-time favorite? All-time mm-hmm. favorite. All right. Well, welcome back. So, since you're, it's an all-timer, well, it's good <laughs> to have you back. First off, tell me the story behind the nickname. Let me hear that. Well, I mean, it started when I was, like, really young. Um, I'm from Cruces, so pretty much all my coaches and my grandparents, like, spoil me. My parents spoil me. And it kind of just stuck. I mean, my coaches are like, you're so cheaply. And I'm like, and then after that, it's just been cheaply. And then... It's either Cheapla or Cheeps. That's what everybody calls me. What do you prefer, Cheapla or Cheeps? Because um, Cheapla sounds like Chicla, and then, you know, that's an El Paso thing, so yeah. we don't really – but Cheeps is pretty cool. I mean, I prefer Cheapla, but Cheeps is just quick, easy, and that's yeah. just what I go by. But, All right. I mean, my parents call me Cheapla. I'm not even Aaliyah at home, so <laughs> – That's crazy. Yeah. Are you an only child? No, I have uh, a brother and a sister. How would you get so spoiled if, you have, if you're one of three? Like, I understand if you're an only <laughs> child, but how would you, you pull that one off? I don't know. I'm the oldest, so it just – Really? Just See, and I would think the youngest would get spoiled the most. So that's pretty impressive that the oldest got uh, got spoiled, especially when you had the uh, you know the younger <laughs> siblings. You figured that they would get all the attention after you, but no, huh? Um, me and my brother, we we are very cheap. I'll tell you that. <laughs> your poor, so your poor sister is what you're telling me, huh? Yeah, my poor sister. All right. I understand. <laughs> is she an athlete too like you? Yeah, she plays volleyball. Okay. Mm-hmm. For UTEP? Um, no, she's a sophomore in high school right, right now. Yeah, All right. So. Well, maybe we'll see her as a future minor. Yeah, that hopefully, would be good. hopefully. That's right. Um, Coach Ben. Tell me, uh, Ben, we know we love Ben Wallace, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, what was last year like for you on the mound? Because you had a pretty uh, pretty steady year. And I looked at your numbers, you know, ERA in the mid-fours, which, again, given this league and the quality of hitters, that, that that's pretty solid. It was definitely a game changer. I think I had to focus a lot more and be more competitive with my pitches than I was mm-hmm. in high school. Um, but other than that, it was just I loved the game. I just wanted to have fun and be out there. So that's pretty much that's pretty much what changed was being more competitive and being more focused on the mound. You pitched a ton of innings, like 132 innings. Just to compare it, nobody else pitched more than like 49. So. Coach Hubbard, you really, like, you were not afraid to try to get as much mileage out of cheaps as you possibly could on the mound. That's pretty impressive. Well, I think the other thing to remember, too, is I think a lot of it, she had quite a few complete games or mm-hmm. at least six-plus inning games. Um, so we were in the mindset, at least from our position, her being a freshman, if she was in a good spot going into the fifth or sixth, we were going to let her finish uh, yeah. just from an experience standpoint. Twelve complete games out of 24 starts. So that's pretty good. I mean, it's half of your starts you finished. you got to take a lot of pride in that, right? I definitely do. I mean, just as a freshman, people see you as – you're not going to play as much. You're going to just get thrown here to just get a couple of practice. And for both Coach TJ and Coach Bringer to trust me out there and start and be able to finish in the seventh, all the way to the seventh, I think even eight innings, yeah. honestly just made my confidence go up a lot more. 
How'd your arm feel? Because I'm a big believer, by the way. I don't believe in this babying stuff where you got to try to, like, not let people pitch because they're going to hurt their arms. I think, like Nolan Ryan, the more you throw, the harder your arm gets, the better it gets. <laughs> so you tell me, do you have arm fatigue during the season or do you feel pretty good? Honestly, I was just going. I was in a groove. And I think towards the end of the season, I did get a little bit tired. But we swim. Mm. And that helped me a lot, just working my little muscles. But... I mean, I was tired, but it wasn't even my arm. I think just mentally, but physically I was fine. Coach, isn't it also different throwing innings like this in softball versus baseball because you're dealing with underhand versus overhand movement? Yeah, I mean, the, just just the movement itself. These kids can go. Obviously, we wouldn't be able to go 150 pitches a day, if, you know, three <laughs> days in a row. But they can yeah. go. They can certainly go back to back days, um, 70, 75 plus, as opposed to overhand. I mean, the guy's got to be shut down. Yeah, exactly. Iced up and all that, and they right. can't throw for a couple days afterwards. Right. So that sounds like fun. Aaliyah, what about the adjustment? I mean, so you pitched a lot of innings, um, but it was a successful season. Biggest change for you from high school ball and cruises to what you saw here at UTEP. The hitters. The hitters were tough to get out. I mean, facing them in a series, I could face them like six times, and I had to do something um, different every time. So I think going into this year, especially for myself, is working up and down and side to side and really understanding batters um, as I get in deeper to counts or even just seeing them the second or third time. So you want to be more of a pitcher versus just a thrower that just goes out there and tries to blow it away past people. I think I've had a lot of conversations about being an elite pitcher, mm-hmm. and one of them is watching film and doing the best and learning the game. And I'm not a strikeout pitcher, but I know my defense has my back, and it, I get a lot of ground balls. Yeah. And just getting the outs that we need in every situation that I can. So you've been studying film? I've been practicing um, with Coach Springer and definitely just you know sitting at home watching, looking at my body, looking mm-hmm. even – Facing them in inner squad, it's hard to get them out. Anna, especially, she hits the ball very hard. She's had a couple home runs off of me in the past two weekends. Oh, really? She's parked you, huh? All <laughs> yeah. right. But it's just adjusting to myself and to the batters. Sounds good. Anna, what kind of, do you also watch a lot of film of yourself and kind of study your at-bats and your stride and, and the way you swing the bat? Uh, yeah, so we video every scrimmage that we have, um, and he always posts it, like, usually the day or the day after. So I like to go on there, and I like to watch uh, my at-bats just to see, like, what my stance is like, what pitches are being thrown, yeah. just what, what I can do to, like, better better myself. Now, you've been with the program a couple of years. What what do you notice the, the most between this version, this season, and, and, and seasons past? Um, this year, I definitely feel like our team dynamic is just amazing this year. I really feel like everybody is bought in. Like, I feel like everybody gets along so well and I just feel like we all want to be out there we all want to be out there uh, every practice every day so. it's so important to also having a team that really is close on and off the field isn't it mm-hmm. yes yeah. and as far as the newcomers so many newcomers I talked about that with coach earlier have the two of you felt that uh, a lot of the new players have, have, have really been able to acclimate themselves uh, pretty easily with this group uh, yeah so I honestly don't feel like any newcomer that came in has sh- shied away from any of us everybody came in we all got together and just we just get together like get along so well so yeah how about how about you definitely I think from a pitching um, aspect for me it's just trusting them and on and off the field and we hang out um, at practice before practice we're in the locker room laughing and listening to music and dancing and then after practice we we'll go have dinner or we go to this taco place and eat Mm -hmm. beer tacos like that's just our thing on Saturday sometimes so it's just it's cool to have that 
on and off the field connection with every single player on the team. Taco night on Saturdays, huh? Yeah. Where right do you, where do you, where's, uh, where's the taco place? Where is where y'all go to? I don't even know what <laughs> it's called. I don't know called. what it's called, but I know it's up by uh, Texas Roadhouse. It's right by a gas station. Oh, it's okay. It's like a, a family-owned place. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. So a little hole in the wall, but just a fun one to go to and kind of make that a ritual for yeah. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Coach, um, I'm looking forward to this season. Got a lot of personality. I mean, you brought uh, two good ones here with us. <laughs> I, th- I think it's I think it's a fun group to watch, you know, uh, especially develop over the course of the season. Um, they're exciting. They're exciting. They make some fantastic defensive plays. They make some fantastic offensive situational uh, hits and score some runs. I think they're just fun to watch. Um, and when you see them on the field, you can tell they're passionate and they're you know determined to to be the best at their position. For you, is there a sense of urgency this season, knowing the last couple of years you're building this thing, you want to get it to where it needs to be? Do you feel almost like you just want to turn the corner and let fans and, and people see the, you really the, the fruits of your labor as you put this whole thing together? Yeah, I mean, obviously that'd be fantastic, um, but it's it's always going to be a little bit of a process. You know, if you go back and look at all of the, the Conference USA, all the league games that we played, we had one or two games where it was a one-run difference. Most of the time we were on the backside of that, you know, one-run difference. But um, it's it's so close. You know, one play, one hit, one pitching change, one pinch hitter away from changing the, the, the outcome of some of those games. And it completely flips the script last year. So, mm-hmm. um, But a lot of times those kids need to go through those situations to learn how to play in those and be in those situations. So I look forward to seeing the experiences that we had last year, um, see how it, it impacts um, at least especially these two young ladies here um, in some of the situations they're going to be in. So you'll be in Abilene for the Wildcat Invitational. That's coming up uh, starting uh, next Friday, February the 10th. Yep. And then uh, your home for your home opener will be the Dr. Diana Natalicio Memorial Tournament presented by the Holiday Inn West Sunland Park. That is a mouthful over at uh, Helen of Troy. But you've got uh, some good teams coming in for that. That's going to be a lot of fun uh, for people watching Texas Tech, Santa Clara, New Mexico, uh, that's ter- and Buffalo. That's terrific uh, softball for you. It's it's a good challenge for us early. It'll it'll def- definitely tell us kind of where we're at um, and where we need to improve at. So um, good a good even the first weekend even at Abilene Christian mm-hmm. Murray State's uh, NCAA team Abilene Christian was a postseason team. So um, we faced some pretty good contenders uh, right out of the gate. I look forward to it, ladies. What should fans expect this year from the Miners? Definitely a good team to watch. I think we'll be really fun to watch this year. It's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to laugh at our games because we, we make people laugh. I will tell you that. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I mean, I, I want to watch a game where we're laughing because you're having fun, yeah, right? That's Absolutely. What, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll start beating people up so badly we'll start laughing. We'll, have, <laughs> well, we'll say this is the most lopsided game we've ever seen. We'll get a good laugh out of it. That would be good, too. All right. UTEP softball starting up uh, here next weekend. Thanks again for being here. Come back and see us during the season, okay? Thanks. Thank you. You got it. We'll come back, wrap it up next. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.